Dr. Daniels, welcome to the Career Pathways podcast. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be talking to you guys. This is this is an absolute treat for me. Yes, and you know we're, we're and so we're doing it all across Lyon campus. So uh, where where are you? I'm actually on the main floor of the Derby building. Uh, I am uh, in psychology, so psychology is here with the rest of the sciences in the Derby building, and. Um, having a great day surrounded by all my stuff. If you've ever been to my office, it's very full of stuff. Um, collections from bits and pieces of, of I was going to say bits and pieces of students, but that's not what I mean. Bits and pieces of, <laughs> Whoa. of things, memorabilia I've, I've had from uh, students over the years. So it's a nice space for me. It's kind of Disney World at, in Batesville. Yeah. Yes, I do have three sets of Disney ears, uh, Mickey, yeah. well, mini ears on my wall, actually. Awesome. Uh, and Jason, where are you? I'm in the Blanford building. I'm in the dorms. Uh, cinder block, uh, brutalism. It's, 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 yeah. It's 1950s. Iron Curtain. It's an experience, all right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Gavin's moved, he's moved outdoors. Gavin's winning at life yep. right now. Yep. Enjoying the sun out right outside the cafeteria. Oh, it's beautiful. Right. And I'm here at the, you know, just my office at the Career Service Center, you know, so, uh, you know, so we're, we're all, we're all together, the band's back together. Dr. Daniels, uh, first question, uh, kind, kind of lead us, tell us, uh, uh, like, your story, you know, like, uh, like, who you are, where, you know, uh, where you're from, your education, kind of all the things that led you to arrive here at Lyon College. So I guess I'd have to go kind of in the way back machine. Um, I don't mind kind of speaking a little bit to my past. I'm a first generation college student and um, I grew up in some pretty significant poverty. Um, and so that that was actually really one of the things that that drove me to my extreme interest in education. And the part of the reason I'm telling you that story is because um, one of the times that I went um, garbage picking with my parents, we, we kind of, if you, for those of my friends who have not had the pleasure, um, you can kind of find out what neighborhood, like what days people are putting their garbage out. And then you just kind of drive around and see if there's anything that's of value. Um, and we would actually, you know, for my business minded students, it was kind of cool because sometimes we would find things that we could either fix up or that were perfectly good. And we could take it to the flea market the next day and then sell it for, for whatever. The reason that's important to know for my story is um, one of the things that we garbage picked was a psychology textbook. And um, it was an older one, and but I was at a ripe age. I was like in seventh or eighth grade. And once I read this textbook, I was like, wow, I had no idea that you could do this with human behavior. I had no idea you could conceptualize it this way. And kind of from then, from the moment I got that old psychology textbook out of the garbage, I was hooked. Um, at the time, I thought I wanted to be a psychoanalytical psychotherapist, mostly because I was 13 and thought that was a really yeah. good title. Um, but then when I actually got to my undergrad, that's when I discovered that abnormal psychology was not for me. 
I'm actually wearing a t-shirt today that says not that kind of psychologist because um, I am not that kind of psychologist. I don't, I don't do therapy. I have a therapist and that's how it ought to be. You know, I, I chose to be an educator. So part of the reason I'm not a therapist is I took abnormal psych and was like, Ugh. I actually think I made that noise like, Ugh, you know, and, and it's <laughs> a little disappointing because a lot of people are like, oh my God, abnormal psych is the coolest thing ever. Just wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I was at the College of Charleston, which is a liberal arts college, just like Lyon is. And one of the reasons to this day that I love and really, really strongly believe in the liberal arts. And so the same semester that I was taking, it's also taking research methods. And again, once I sort of realized that you could ask and answer questions about human behavior using data, I was hooked. And then I had a very strong mentor in Dr. Lisa Ross, who was my social psychology instructor in undergrad and has really been somebody I've looked up to since I was, well, Jason and Gavin's age. You know, I mean, and to this day, we still keep in touch. Um, and again, so she was my mentor, not only for what field I wanted to go into, but that was the kind of job slash life that I wanted to have. And I was like, all right, I want to be a Lisa Ross for somebody else. And so I knew, as even as an undergrad, that in order to teach at a college level, which ultimately that's my goal, right? That was my goal is to teach at a college level. I had to get a PhD, right? That was, that's what I knew. So everything I'm doing today, the only, honestly, I mean, like, I like having the name doctor in front of my name, in front of my last name. Like, I'm definitely not one of these people. It's like, yeah, just call me Jen. You know, I'm like, no, 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 it's Dr. Daniels, you know, especially as a woman in, in academia and stuff like that. It's like, no, 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 it's Dr. Daniels. I do hold on to that. Not because I'm trying to pull rank, but because that was, I was a long slog. That was a long haul to get the degree that I needed to do the work that I'm doing, that I'm most proud of here um, at Lyon College. So that's the sh kind of the short version. I know I kind of did two heavy bookends. Um, but in the middle, I went, so I graduated from the College of Charleston with um, a, a BS, um, Bachelor of Science, but then I have a Master's of Arts, an MA in Experimental Psychology from Wake Forest. And then my PhD in Social Psychology is from the um, University of Connecticut. And I also have a graduate um, certificate in college instruction. So I was one of those weirdos in my class that was like, hey, I'd like to learn how to teach people. And they were like, sure, we have this program. You want to give it a try? And um, it wasn't universally well received. The fact that I wanted to teach um, after I got my Ph.D. wasn't necessarily something that everyone in my Ph.D. program was like really excited for me to do. But I knew, like I said, from way back in the day from when I was y'all's age as an undergrad, that's what I was going to do. And I was like, well, no. And I needed, I needed skills to do that. They don't necessarily teach you how to teach just because you get a PhD and there's a skill to it. Oh, amen to that. I, I, I've been in marketing my whole life. I right. arrived here at Lyon and I remember uh, the uh, business faculty asked if I, you know, would teach marketing. And I, it was like Christmas morning, the Super Bowl, my daughter's birthday. It was like, this is, this is awesome. No, great. The thing is that, uh, yeah, I, there's it's one thing lecturing or talking at people. It's another thing to learn how to teach. And 
and that's a work in progress. You know, I'm in my oh, third sure. semester and I'm still learning it. And people think it's easy as an observer and until they actually get up in, in front of a class and really try to bring them along on this learning journey. And then you really learn what teaching is all about. Well, and that's it's one of those things that you don't, if you shouldn't stop learning about. I've been teaching full-time since... 2009 and I taught during graduate school and I'm still learning new things all the time. I really am. Um, it just depends on what my students throw at me. And I'm like, all right, do you want to learn that way? Sure. We'll figure it out together. Social psychology. Kind of what That's your, your, your field of your specialty. Mm -hmm. uh, what can you define it in terms of like what it is and then kind of the area that is there a particular area that you focus on? Sure, sure. So social psychology um, is about the individual in the group, right? So sociology might be something people have heard of before. And sociology is about how groups operate and how groups um, interact with each other. But social psychology is about you in the group, whatever group that happens to be. Um, my particular, so well, well, before I get to my particular, I'll just give an example of some of the topics I cover in my social psychology class. We cover everything from aggression to attraction, to prejudice, to discrimination, to just social cognition, just the way people think about each other, cognitive dissonance, fundamental attribution error, all those kinds of things. Things that you're, you guys are doing anyway, everybody's doing anyway, um, but we have looked at the mechanics of how it works and maybe a little bit about why it works. Most of my research has kind of fallen into two main categories. One has to do with gender and gender identity, the psychology of that. Um, I have some ducks in my office. People know, if you know me for my ducks because I talk about how things like gender sex, gender identity, gender expression, romantic interest, there's a whole bunch of ducks. Everybody assumes all those ducks are in a row, but I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen, we have ducks and, and some geese right down in Bryan Lake. Those guys are all over the place all the time. And honestly, that's how those concepts of gender work too. They don't have to go all in a row. They can move on their own. Um, and that's been something I've been studying with students since, oh, I mean, I mean, for over a decade. But the other the other line of research that um, I've been doing with uh, collaborating actually with some of the folks here is it has to do with video games and fandoms. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we did was look at how people can, how effectively they can represent themselves in a video game, say as an avatar or something like that, mm -hmm. and then how they interact with the game through that avatar and how much of that do you take onto yourself? And remember, like I said, social psychology is about the the individual in the group. Well, that individual could be an avatar of you in a group like a, a gaming group or a guild within a game or, or something like that. So I like it as a microcosm for some of the things that we're already interested with in um, in social psych. Um, one thing, too, about video games. So, yeah. so this is like a great segue into uh, we talked about this before, but like parasocial relationships. Sure. Like the, the the idea of like a parasocial relationship can you, like I know that's associated a lot with like video games and stuff like that, like those virtual avatars. Can you kind of describe to us what that is? So that's a, that's a really good question. So parasocial relationships. Um, OK, so what's what's the best way to think about it? So we have to actually kind of back up a little bit and recognize the fact that humans are social animals. 
right? We are social animals. We are meant to be in groups. We are meant to be in connection with other people. Um, to the point that sometimes, now those, let me back up. We're social animals. And that usually means with a real person, I'm using, I'm talking with my hands. If you've ever had a class with me, I'm just talking <laughs> with my hands like crazy. Right. It usually means that that relationship, the interaction goes both ways, right? Just like we're talking back and forth right now. Parasocial relationships tend to only be one, one directional. Um, and so, for example, I might think not like in a stalker kind of way. So don't think about stalkers when I when I talk about this, but I might feel like I have a parasocial connection, say, with Taylor Swift. In part, I use Taylor Swift as an example, one, because she's a real person and two, because she really puts a lot of her personal self into what she does and how she interacts with her fans. And because she does it that way, it can be very easy to kind of get this feeling like we're connected, like, like she, like, I feel like we're friends. I am not a Swifty don't, you know, but I under, I res fully respect Swifties and right. all, you know, like, like the fact that we have nicknames for her. Like, I think people call her Tay Tay or something like that, right. that it, it implies an intimacy that we don't really have. None of us are besties with her. If we were, I, we'd all have better cars or something. I don't know. I think she's very, she seems very generous with her time. Now with video games, it's, it's even more interesting because we'll connect, we'll have parasocial relationships with not real people. We will have connections to the point where, like we will be sad when a character dies. Uh, this shouldn't be a spoiler alert. The game's almost 30 years old, but for example, when there's a, a particular character in Final Fantasy VII that dies midway through the playing of that game. And there are people who played it 30 years ago. There was almost like their JFK moment. If you ask them, where were you? How do you remember when, when this character died? On paper, we shouldn't feel that way, right? You know, it's it's sort of like, it seems a little bit silly if you take it out of that context, but we feel so connected. One, we're pulled to connect. And then two, the depictions of those characters, if you're pulled in enough, you'll get that connection and you'll feel those that sense of loss, even though it's just a bunch of pixels. But Jason, what did you want to connect to that? That's that's sort of where I'm where my head is at anyway. I was meaning like um I know there's a lot of I, I know this has become really popular recently, but like with uh, YouTubers in particular, sure. oh, like, yes. um, I, I know there's I know there's a really big like virtual YouTuber thing where like people use virtual avatars and there's like big groups of people who like believe or, or think they're like, you know, they'll send them like a hundred dollars and they'll be like, Hey babe, how was your day? You know, stuff like that. Or, Hey, I hope you're doing so well. I love you so much. Stuff like that. Like I've seen like really bad cases of that. And then another case I think of too, is like when you're talking to like Siri too, like oh, yes. I immediately, I immediately like, I'll always be like, I'll always be like, thanks, Siri, you know, whenever she does something for me, whenever I ask her a question, but she's not real. She's not a real human. Like she doesn't respond to thanks, you know, like she, she's not reply. She's not designed to be like, oh, you're welcome, Jason. You know, like, unless you say, hey, Siri, thank you. You know, you got to like do the prompt. She's not real, you know. Well, and that's that's where I say, you know, remember I always said it was like a two way. It was a two way connection. We will do. And that's the part that's been fascinating to me. We will do a lot of heavy lifting on behalf of the the non player character almost like right these are all npcs in our lives series an npc in our life in some ways um but i i usually so 
one way to think about this is like anthropomorphizing animals. I'm going to get back to the YouTuber virtual thing in just a second, but anthropomorphizing animals. I have a 10 pound Pomeranian who is the light of my life and we have full on conversations and she never says a word. This is not to say that animals aren't communicative. Don't, you know, they communicate in their own way. But like, again, I'm not, and I'm not like delusional, right? These aren't, none of this, this is all what normal people do. I'm not delusional about this. Um, But I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting in the two-way street of that relationship between the two of us. The same thing can be said for like those, you know, YouTubers and and people who are using TikTok um, to like, uh, that's that's their way of getting money almost like they're they're talking to like you know oh hey jason i see you're online today and and it's really nice to see you and you know maybe you want to give me 20 dollars or something like that part of the fact and, and we're on zoom right now and so part of it is we forget because it's just one person in the box and especially if they're good about making sure they maintain eye contact with you through the camera you forget that they're not just talking to you. They're actually talking to a whole bunch of people, however many people happen to be online at that time. But that's called the actor-observer bias. And we forget that that personality is talking to a whole bunch of people because the way that it's framed like this, it feels very intimate. And normally you wouldn't make sustained eye contact with anybody that you weren't in a relationship with. It would be weird. It would be weird. Um, I don't know that people necessarily, especially that are making money off these things, necessarily realize that that's what they're doing. But that's the name for what they're doing. Um, I'm actually in the persuasion portion of my in of my social psych class. And so we talk about elaboration likelihood model and the way that you can get people's you can get your message out either through logic or through emotion. And you can get, you can do a lot of stuff with just emotional connections. So if you take somebody who want, who maybe is lonely, um, is looking for some kind of a, a, of a connection and especially parasocial relationships are safe. Why, why are they safer than maybe like a real relationship? Why? Because it's a one way street. You can only go one way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You only run into trouble when, well, when you try to take it too far, when you try to, that's, then you can, yeah. Then when you try to make it a two-way street is usually when Ooh, very nice, Jason. I like the way you put that. Yes. That's where the problem comes in. You try to make it a two-way street and they're like, what are you talking about? And again, then you have to realize again, you were the one doing all the hefty, heavy lifting in that, that two-way, that one-way relationship you made feel like a two-way relationship. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're, you're mentioning you're covering persuasion now, I I had a moment yesterday that, mm-hmm. I, that I thought of you because I one of uh, one of our students is taking uh, Dr. Tebbett's advanced comp class, and she came to me wanting to talk about ethos, pathos, and logos. Oh, geez, and, okay. And, and as far as in marketing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was just that. Okay, here, you know, here's, you know, up, here's, brands and messages that work best on an emotional level here's those it, you know when you think of like things with uh, logos you got influencers celebrities you know mm-hmm. you fact you know and then and then you have you know everything with you know, pathos as far as you know it's more the facts than the figures features benefits you know? right you right know, and it's and you know that's you know here's something pulled out of literature but it 
ties right back to psychology. That's one of the, I, I remember having a moment when I was an undergrad at the College of Charleston that I now call a liberal arts moment. One of those moments <laughs> yeah. that you can only have at a literal at a liberal arts college where it's almost like there's this synergy where it, for my particular case, it was something we were talking about something in my German uh, film class that we were also talking about in my developmental psych class. And we were also talking about um, in another psychology class or whatever it was. And it was just like, whoa, we really are looking at the same thing from different perspectives. I mean, you can absolutely be a philosopher, um, a historian. I mean, from my biased perspective, it's all about human behavior. You know, right. English literature is a descriptor and a study of human behavior. I mean, if it's about people, right, instead of like fish or something, I don't know. Um, economics, marketing, business, it's all human behavior. Not that I think everything is psychology. That's not what I'm saying. But I love when people have those liberal arts moments of recognizing that they're all they're looking they're kind of simultaneously able to look at one thing from multiple angles at once and you only get that at a liberal arts college i i mean we're set up for it is what i mean you're going to get them more often in a liberal arts college and i love that i live for that oh, as an yeah. english major i would tell you that that's a hundred percent how i think about it too is it's that's all great. human behavior yes and i'm an english major so we're winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're winning yeah. on that side. You know, from a, as a social psychologist, you know, you're talking about the importance of humans need that relationship. And I want to get your commentary on kind of the world we live in where you can have several thousand friends on Facebook and yet be incredibly lonely. Yeah. I mean, what what's, what's going on there from a as a as you see it as a social psychologist well it's interesting because i would almost want to tag in um an evolutionary psychologist um yeah. to to kind of come into this because evolutionarily speaking we're not we're not we don't have the capacity to have seven thousand deep and meaningful relationships um like think about it if you come from even just if you come from a big family how much work it is to manage all of those, all of those relationships. I think the, and I love social media. I think it's, I, I stay connected with my friends and family and my son through a lot of these things. But the issue is all of those relationships have are relatively shallow. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sort of a sense. It's, it's just more of, of a check-in kind of a thing. Um, and maybe that kind of circles back to the parasocial stuff because those parasocial relationships maybe feel more real yeah. um, than than even even real life relationships, in part because of I'll use the influencers as an example, because they push out so much content all of the time and real life relationships don't necessarily operate that way. Um I think we have to look back at the fact that um, if you are describing that relationship that you've got with these people as followers or subscribers, you've got to recognize that they are not anything more than that. You know, they really are just following your material or they're just subscribing to the things that you're putting out there. Um, but that's not enough. That won't scratch the itch 
so to speak, that we've got evolutionarily speaking. We need deep, meaningful um, relationships. As scary as that may be, a lot of us have social anxiety. And um, that's why I'm glad we have these methods, because one of the things I like about social media and um, video games and the chat feature, like there are some good things that happen because if you've got someone who has social anxiety, if you can speak with someone through a kind of an intermediary, kind of like Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Or chat is even better if you've got pretty extreme social anxiety, because then you have time to think about your answer or what you're going to ask. And then there's a pause and you get to think about how you're going to respond back. And then there's a pause. Whereas when you are talking to a person face to face, especially if you're talking to somebody like me, who has who is an extrovert from the East Coast, um, <laughs> who demands a lot from a really from a from a conversation, I want I'm like, yeah, let's do this. That can be very overwhelming. And so I am I think social media in general is a blessing and a curse. Don't have a thousand shallow friends to replace one good one, but don't overlook the fact that you can use the channels of connection available to you in social media to find a community that you might not have had otherwise, um, especially if you're the only whatever, like in your town. So for example, here in Arkansas, potentially you could be the only trans person that you know in your town. And we have a lot of small towns here. You can find a community, a real community of people that understand where you're coming from online because that that's a new opportunity that say teenagers and young people that were different 30 35 years ago they would have had nobody because the only people they knew were in their small town yeah so it's a double-edged sword for sure don't use it as a replacement but you can also use it to find your people that understand you absolutely uh, oh, you know, I, I, I was gonna say uh sorry yeah. didn't mean to budget Go i was gonna say like uh s some of some of the people that i've met online like i i would consider like almost very like very close friends like almost best yes. friends um i i've met them in real life ex except nice. for a few of them um from the uk that's a little hard when they're so far away especially during covid but but when i meet them i notice a lot of times is they're very socially like inept people like they they kind of shut face down. to face yeah. yeah face to face they shut down but over the like over the call like without a face they just they go buck wild they, they, Absolutely. It's, it's their playground you know like it's, yeah. it's exactly what they want so i yeah. think like i think that's like like i don't know how many friends i would have like honestly without social media either so it's kind of like it's a great tool but it's also like a curse at the same time yeah you know? yeah no it can be especially when we try to monetize some of these things i it makes me a little feel a little bit creepy like i'm all for capitalism and all that kind of good stuff but it also is we also seem to have a tendency to want to put a price tag tag on sort of every human interaction. Yeah. And that makes me a little, that part makes me a little sad sometimes, but yeah. You, you, do? You, you know, you, your, as far as your prep, your field of study, uh, you know, was gaming. And then also as far as like the changing, as far as uh, things around gender, uh, mm -hmm. can, can you walk us through kind of how that has evolved? Cause I, I'm thinking just, from my boomer lens, okay? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, here it is that, you know, that you, you got something like, uh, you know, the, the stay-at-home housewife and the traditional 50s family. And then you got have these things that seemed small at the time, like G.I. Joe. And uh -huh. it's like, what? 
my son playing with dolls, you know, oh, and, right, and, right, right. And, and you kind of look at, you know, then uh, even to like where, you know, how I, my, me as a parent, I was so fundamentally different than the way my, my father yes. uh, uh, did it. And that, and it wasn't that I, my, I had grudges or, you know, anything, but it was just that I, it just naturally uh, evolved that way. Now my wife worked and, you know, there was all, yep. a lot of reasons, but I also it was just me as a person, I just saw fathering very different than he did. And then, you know, you, you keep, the, you know, the transition keeps going keeps going yes going it along. does so and, and it, so is, how do you study all like kind of all of that or is there a particular area that you focus on interestingly enough i started my this the thing that interests me with gender in particular psychological gender yeah. which is not the same thing as sex right sex mm -hmm. and gender maybe in english like and all I say, like in the Alphen building, might be interchangeable, but in Derby, they have two very different things. So I talk about gender not as a substitute for the word sex. It's its own psychological con construct, um, which is actually socially defined, right? I mean, that's, I mean, just to kind of connect it all back together. Um, our ideas from gender are, about gender are constructed. We, um, two things. So wait, my undergrad research was actually on trying to connect creativity to something called androgyny. Psychological androgyny means you're both highly male and highly female in um, your the way that you're you think about things. You're not sort of constrained to only see things in a feminine uh, kind of a way I'm air quoting all of this versus a masculine kind of way because to my thinking, if you were someone who could use both masculine and feminine, um, characteristics and approaches to things, and you're going to be more creative. And that that actually turned out to be the case. So that's how Look that started. Mick, Mick Jagger to David Bowie. Sure yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and that's part of it too, is like, I always say representation matters. It really does. Yeah. Representation matters all the way down the line. The fact that I'll use the, the, the girl type uh, parallel to G.I. Joe, Barbie started as a very particular kind of doll the fact that she was the first adult doll in and of itself was actually a big deal. You oh, know, I mean, a yeah, lot yeah. of, right. Because yeah. at the time when she can, you know, when she was kind of created in the fifties, we, and we still do this, we give baby dolls to girls, but not boys, yeah. you know? And it's like, like assuming that one day, like you're not going to be a father and it, it's, you know, it, I understand it can still get a little bit dicey for folks, but Barbie has changed with what kids and their parents want from the dolls that their child has in the house. Now, she's not perfect. She's still got, you know, um, if anybody has seen the Barbie movie and wants to talk about the Barbie movie, come by my office and we'll I'll make a pot of tea and we will talk about the Barbie movie because it was amazing. Yeah. It really was quite amazing. Um, and it hit on a lot of real life things that, Everybody seems to think that racism and sexism and all that stuff is over. Like we dealt with it, you know, right? When women's lib back in the 60s or the 70s or, you know, racism, is that really a thing anymore? Um, and yes, yes, it is. And it's just, it's almost like it only comes out in small ways, but they're small, consistent and ubiquitous ways. The only way to kind of change thinking that comes out in small 
ubiquitous ways is by attacking it in small and ubiquitous ways. Meaning you attack it by giving your boys access to baby dolls, you know, giving your girls access to baby dolls and Barbies and GI Joe and, um, uh, you know, take your daughters hunting, not just your boys. Um, take your boys uh, shopping for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, let your girls play football. However, whatever that means, gender is something that grows and is substantiated and instantiated in a thousand different small decisions that you make over the course of your child's life or your own life. And then when, if your child ever gets to the point where they're like, yeah, I think maybe I, I'm, I'm trying to process my identity. I mean, I think ultimately what my research is about and my field is about is about social identity, the person, how you identify in the midst of the social landscape you find yourself in. And I think I'm lucky to be living, this is sort of my dream, like the generation that I'm in right now that some people are threatened by, that is very fluid about their gender identity and fluid about their gender expression. That's what I thought was the right thing back when I was an undergrad. That's that's really ultimately what I was trying to test with my little study about androgyny and, and creativity. Um, because I believed even then, I'm a cisgendered, heterosexual, lady type person. I look like a girl. I talk, you know, I, I, you know, all that kind of good stuff. I'm not necessarily in, I don't necessarily have that particular identity, but I've believed in its capability and its, in its appropriateness ever since I was a young person. And I love the fact that our young people today, the generation that I see coming through as freshmen right now are demanding a voice and they're demanding representation and they're demanding nothing less than um, respect for their individual experience. And if it's not hurting, right, we talk about it, things are abnormal if they're deviant and they're dangerous. And if whatever you're doing is not deviant or dangerous and it's not upsetting to you, might upset other people. But if it's not upsetting to you and it's not getting in the way of your life, you got to do it because the alternative is not great. And it's just an increased level of like a, a acceptance. Is that kind of, a, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we used to talk about tolerance, right? Was sort of, yes, yes. we moved from tolerance yeah. And now we mm -hmm. go to acceptance and then there's, there's even a step beyond that, right? Which is cel like celebration. I'm trying to not get in the word right right now, but there's a step beyond simple acceptance, which is, um, uh, yeah, let's talk about celebrating those identities and, and not just like, oh, okay, you exist, but it's like you exist and that's cool. And here's your, here's, let's understand how you can uniquely, you know, contribute to this cool thing that we're doing, whether that's a business idea or a novel, or a movie, um, or or whatever it is. And I think we see a lot of these changes in our art, right? I mean, in, in film, and that's video games, that's, um, you know, Marvel series and stuff like that. Like, I think art moves faster than the rest of society's consciousness will necessarily. Oh, you look at uh, like a successful musical like Hamilton. Sure. They completely did, you know, they did. They threw threw out all the you know traditional casting 
and just cat, you know, and and just cast these outstanding actors, humans, in the roles yeah. that they, you know, and they, yeah, they were just humans. And you, if you can see past that, oh wait, that wasn't 1776. Forget it. You know, this is, you know, just art, you know, and, and beautiful and on its own. And and that would, and you kind of make all, and those are those small steps. Yes. Take. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. only thing I I would want to wrap around that a little bit is yeah. that I don't want anybody to to misunderstand and think that somehow I want to get rid of the concepts of say mm -hmm. race or gender or something like that and just like oh well, we're all just the same because we're not all the same right. um and like I actually believe in you know like for thinking about lady types and dude types I want there to be equity there not sameness right. men and women aren't the same um, but there's an equality on, on, on things like when it comes to getting a job, we are still living in a world where, um, a study was done within the last five or six years where hiring managers were given resumes from two different people where we're, or one group was given, they were all given the same resumes. It was just on one of them. It said like Jane Smith. And then the other, it said John Smith and these hiring managers were more likely, same resume, were more likely to hire John than Jane. The difficulty for me is that you ask those folks, do you think you hired females less often than men? What are they going to say? Oh, of course not. So they don't even realize they're doing it. So amazing. Uh, kind of shift gears a little bit. Sure. Uh, classes at Lyon. What, uh, you know, kind of, what classes do you teach in psychology? Uh, you know, you got social psychology, yep. I'm aware of, but what other, what other, you know, topics do you cover? I am lucky enough to get to teach stats, which Ooh. I love teaching stats. <laughs> it's, it's actually, I really do. It's would have been one of my favorite classes, All right. um, in part because a lot of students come into it terrified and then we get through it together and we have like a, we don't have a parade or anything, but we should because <laughs> people really, you know, they really come out of that class stronger than, than they think they really, they then then when they went in um i also teach personality psychology um i get to teach some special topics sometimes too which are very exciting to me i've taught psycho film um psycho food and eating is one of my favorite classes to teach tell and, us more tell us more oh yeah so that one's actually pretty cool we talk about persuasion again we talk yeah. about you know um we talk about um, it's really a, a cross section of psychology as a whole, because we mm -hmm. talk about perception and um, top down processing and bottom up processing when it comes to taste and uh, cultural differences, not only in uh, preferences for certain foods, um, but for like things like not being able to um, I'm I'm very white bread, you know, just yeah. just as a human. And so I can't tolerate a lot of spice, but other cultures through a lot of different means, not just because, oh, well, you're one of those people or whatever. There's a lot of different reasons why other people can tolerate heat. Um, and it comes from, like I said, it, it, it's due to a lot of different things. And my favorite thing about that class is we actually end our kind of our culminating event is we have a formal tea. And uh, last time I was able to do this at Highland House. And part of the reason we do that is to talk about etiquette and talk about Pinkies. etiquette as a Pinkies yes, up. exactly. What you know, do you, you know, how do you serve yourself from the the tea? Who pours the tea? Do you put the milk in first? Do you not put the milk in first? That kind of thing. And it's a practice in conformity and obedience. Um, and to make the point that 
a lot of the things that we do when we encounter other people, including etiquette, right? I mean, not, not trying to, you know, squash your individuality, but anything that we can do to make the people around us more predictable, that's what makes us feel safe. Sometimes we do that in bad ways by, um, through prejudice or making assumptions about you and your behavior based on, you know, who you are, mm-hmm. but etiquette makes everybody predictable because everybody's using the same set of rules. And the same, that's nice. They're using the salad fork, not yes. the dinner fork and they, and they, the napkin on the, you know, the I know what I'm supposed to wear at this wedding right, because they right, said right. this and the invitation and, yeah, yeah. and, um, I don't, I, I personally think that's a good um, a good skill to have. And I've, I've had some pretty good feedback because I had a student who went to a very fancy restaurant the summer following this. And she was so grateful because we actually did talk about, you know, which knife is for the bread and how do you actually butter the bread in a nice restaurant? And she didn't feel embarrassed. She felt proud and she felt comfortable in that environment because she knew what the rules were. And ultimately that's all any of us want. I want to know what the rules are. Yeah. Tell me what yeah. to do. So well, I can get uh, this live. Yeah, my my daughter, you know, she, you know, we were in, in Atlanta and and uh, classic Atlanta thing. We were, uh, uh, she went to Cotillion. Oh and, wow, uh, that's a big deal. <laughs> you know, same all all the little nice and and the the like the family joke was always that you know kind of we never really saw any of those those. Uh, it didn't last, uh, you know. Oh, but, bless. You sure, know, sure, sure. She's, she's going to be listening to this. And Robin, I love you. And you know that it came through and you got all the manner. She can bust it out person. when she needs to. That's the key. She can bust it out <laughs> when go. necessary. Yeah. But, but it is, it's just a way it, and it also just, it's a way not to make people feel awkward. It's almost yes. like a polite, being polite. If that, yeah. it made, yeah. That, uh, another dread, kind of go, uh, uh, uh retread or go back a bit you teach personality i do uh, i do now tell us about that so i was actually trained both as a social psychologist and by or by social psychologists and personality psychologists and personality psychologists look at so if social psych is about the person in the group the personality class the uh, stuff is about the person and the gender stuff that I talk about, the gender identity and all that sort of stuff, that's couched in the personality. Well, I guess it's it's got a foot in both. It's got a foot in personality and a foot in social psychology as well. And mm-hmm. so personality is about things, about measuring, appropriately measuring sort of long-term individual characteristics about you. The ones that you might already be aware of are things like introversion and extroversion. You know, those are kind of the classic ones or conscientiousness and that kind of thing. But there's a whole bunch of different other ones that you could that you could talk about. And what we really focus on is measuring something that's real, um, using appropriate questioning, making sure that the measures are sound that they're reliable, that they're measuring what they're supposed to be measuring. And then we can use those things to predict behavior, right? We can use them through statistical measures to predict maybe whether or not somebody's going to like a particular ad campaign based on certain characteristics, which would always be, um, or if they would like a particular book or if they would like a particular movie based on their, their personality characteristics. It is not the same thing as taking a BuzzFeed quiz. 
You take a BuzzFeed quiz to find out like, uh, what kind of bread is Jason? Oh, he's a real bun or something, you know, those, <laughs> those made, yeah. Right. <laughs> Cornbread. Yeah. Right. Or Patrick Lynch. I, I think he's, he's a good rye, a good rye bread. Um, and those are not cow. They're not grounded in the kind of research that really needs to be done in order for those tests to be worthwhile. Help me Myers-Briggs. I love Myers-Briggs and boy, people you know to just you know they they're it's always seems to be under attack but as a way to kind of get a quick and easy way to understand mm -hmm. kind of your tendencies and and then recognize those tendencies in others i i've always liked using it i, I mean i don't, don't swear by it you know no no of course but you know it just why is it that you know that particular assessment always seems to be under fire well, part of it, and then the way I complain about it, because you know yeah. I do, um, is that it is grounded in a Jungian, like Carl Jung, who was a contemporary mm -hmm. of, of Freud. It is actually couched in um, and was born out of Jungian thinking. Right. And Jungian thought, collective unconscious, you know, um, uh, anima animus, um, mother, you know, mother types, hero types, like all this kind of stuff is not based in any kind of data or science. And so one of the things that I talk about is like, well, technically it's a theoretical, meaning it's not based on any kind of theory. It's not, um, theories are meant to explain behaviors and that it doesn't really, so it's not, it, it's more the foundation that it's built on. Just like Freud, right? Oh yeah, let's just say Freud, babe. Yeah, no, seriously. Sometimes a pencil is just a pencil. Sometimes it is, right. <laughs> and I think just like with Freud, right. I teach Freud. I teach Freud right. my personality class because it is the foundation for the way a lot of um we what we have done is modern because Freud was not a scientist, Jung was not a scientist, never claimed to be. Freud actually considered himself a conquistador. Uh he considered himself a con he called himself that, never a scientist. And um, but what uh, psychological science has come and done after the fact is to put some data underneath uh, some of those original assumptions and questions and give it some try to figure use that data to figure out what works, what's good to follow and what's not. As far as the Myers-Briggs goes, it's a good just it's just not and just don't overuse it just like people shouldn't overuse you know the big five which is the where extroversion and introversion comes from um just understand its place in understanding human behavior don't you know use it to like i don't think anybody should use it to to hire or fire somebody I, i've seen that at, you know which and that's an over yeah overstepping yeah. Yeah. Oh, I need an IM, INTJ for this job or something. And you're yeah, clearly yeah. an I like I've <laughs> seen too. There's been um uh I've seen uh, articles, listicles going around about, oh, this hiring manager always offers um an incoming interviewee uh, a coffee mug. And depending on what they do with the coffee mug, that's how they get hired and fired. And I think the this the solution was if they put their mug in the sink and they actually washed it themselves and put it away then they were going to get hired. And so they use like these sort of yeah. inappropriate tests of, of like lay tests of personality that aren't based in anything. And that's not what the Myers-Briggs is. The Myers-Briggs is a nice little snapshot to tell people this is how you usually think and this is what you're actually interested in. So I think it's perfectly appropriate for career services. Oh, no yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Oh, 
Uh, no, I'll let you finish. I, my my thing's a whole different topic. So. Okay, yeah, because uh, have you ever read uh, Susan Cain's book, uh, Quiet? Yeah, I don't know that I have. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, she's uh she's a uh, like a uh, die in the wall introvert and okay. And the title of the book is Quiet, and it's like how uh, introverts can succeed in a world where people will not stop talking. Sure. And I and I absolutely love it, you know. And it's uh, and it's just that thing about you know that uh, in her view, the you know the kind of the world kind of overvalues extroverts fair enough in the business world you know it's the it's the charismatic outspoken outgoing narcissistic psychopaths actually yeah let's keep it rolling and 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 you look at who are, are some of the more successful leaders and they're the introverts uh one big reason is introverts have that one superpower which is listening yeah, yeah. And, yep, absolutely. And it was like, and being kind of an ambivert, leaning more to the extrovert. Uh, gosh, you know, I, I, you know, I started making sure I had both ears working, you know, because you know, stop talking, and and listen more, and and it's amazing how things turn for your benefit that way. And it goes back to teaching too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's uh there's something to be said to figure out ways that you can capture everyone not capture cat maybe capture is a little too threatening but to offer the <laughs> opportunity snare. yes yeah one <laughs> snare right that's why i want to ensnare your attention um, but keeping available opportunities for everybody in your class to respond and, and to interact it doesn't necessarily i have i have definitely said to people in my classes before i'm like i, I like i see your hand is up again and i love you but we're going to let somebody else talk and move on. So I recognize, cause I was that person. I loved it. I was just like, this right. is the greatest. I want to answer. I don't want to just, you know, answer all the questions. Cause I think I'm hot stuff. I'm like, I just really love learning. And so what about this? And what about this? And I, the rest of the room just sort of melts away. We're not selfish, horrible people. We just do get very excited and drawn into the social context. That's Speaking you of draw that, energy. Yeah. Yes. That's, where, yeah yes. that's the energy there. But I'm also a socially, I have social anxiety. So I'm a socially anxious extrovert and it's hell. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> this is the I thing bet. I need, but it also makes me nervous. Yeah. You, yeah. You, oh, I'm kind of torn. You, you were going to say something, Jason? Uh, well, first off, I just want to say that I, I've recently in a class, I, I've had that same problem where uh, I like be talking too much. And at first I thought, well, maybe nobody else is talking because it's a Zoom, it's a Zoom class. Okay, so to be fair, it's like, essentially, like we have it now, but with like 10 other people, right. um, it, I won't say any names, but it's a English class. Okay, so we talk a lot about like the book that we're reading. Right. So um a, a lot of times I'll be talking and talking and all of a sudden I'll be like, wait a minute, you know what? I'm talking way too much. So then I'll go quiet. I'll mute my mic. And then all of a sudden I thought maybe I was just talking too much, but it turned out that I was actually the only person talking because nobody yep. else was talking Yes. because everybody else was just sitting like quiet, like too scared to unmute their mic and, you know, say something. So that that's another thing too, that I think people forget about is taking that step too. You can't just like be so shy that you don't want to say anything too. Fair enough. you know, to that. I think that's kind of my view on it. I've often seen that, um, uh, like, how does an introvert get friends? Oh, well, they find an extrovert and they they adopt them. 
You know, I'm, I'm, I am, I must admit, I am definitely a wingman for a lot of my <laughs> introverted friends. They definitely bring me to social events right. so that I will, I will do the talking so they can just kind of hang out and, and sip their drink and just kind of go, mm -hmm, yep, love it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. all right, well, this works. This works. So okay. it's good to be self-aware though, Jason. It's very good to be self-aware. Yeah. And then another thing I was going to say, um, so this episode, um, this is kind of moving off to a different topic, but so <laughs> this episode will be released um, around the time that people are starting to do their new classes for next right. semester. So could you tell everybody um, what classes you will be teaching next semester? And if there are any classes that you're super excited to teach that you think everybody uh -oh. should just join? <laughs> well... I uh -oh. won't be teaching any classes in the spring because oh. Oh. I am going on what is called sabbatical. Oh, okay. I know. So I applied to um, uh, be working on some projects. Uh, I've got a lot because I have a lot of fandom research that needs to be written up. And um, I'd like to explore a little bit more about um, Southern identity and food culture. And so I will be able to have classes. I will not, I'm released of my teaching duties so I can pursue some of those other things. And it's something that we faculty can apply for um, so that we kind of come back in the fall refreshed and kind of ready to do, ready to do our thing. So I'll be back in the fall with um, stats and um, probably social or cultural psychology. I also teach cultural psychology, human sexuality. Maybe I'll throw that one back in there. Um, it's a great semester if I can teach human sexuality and psych of food. Um, it's, it always makes for a very interesting um, afternoon, if you can get into both classes, because it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. So okay. that's an upper division class and not for anybody that's not required for the major human sexuality yeah. is not required for the major. We don't make anybody take that class. Uh, question. Uh, we have a uh, psychology is one of the more popular majors here at, at Lyon College and, and no surprise. It's, you know, you and the faculty are outstanding so it becomes kind of a magnet for a lot sure. of students who yes. really yes. want to learn got to be aware now they post lion and they're looking at careers uh with a psychology major kind of what you know kind of what career options are are there available for them so we usually think about that in two stages. We um, actually incorporated a one credit class for our majors about called professional development. And it's a, that's what it is required for the major in part because um, we want to expose people to sort of the, I say two different paths, but those two different paths then branch out into a multitude of, of opportunities. But you sort of have your first branch, which is you, you're going to go to grad school and get some more training, more specific training for things like um, becoming a mental health counselor, social worker. Um, we've also had folks who actually, along with some of the pre uh, other other prereqs outside of psychology, go into law. I've actually got two students right now that are psychology majors that are going to go to law school. Um, and the other sort of branch is going right into the workforce from undergrad. And honestly, if you want to work with humans right now, we we do we just gained Dr. Florkowitz within the last couple of years. And so she can speak to the animal behavior, but we are still primarily focused on humans, human animals. And as long as you're going to work with people, we can get you there. Um, this could be, and so like when I talk to my advisees, usually I ask, well, what population do you want to work with? 
And some, some people are drawn to kids. You know, they're like, I really want to work with kids. Or I get people who will be like, I never want to work with kids. <laughs> or I feel drawn to supporting um, people that are older, maybe in assisted living. It's like, okay, great. One of the things we have people do as part of professional development is to identify their transferable skills. And that's another thing that I think liberal arts and Lion in particular excels at, that they're sort of these critical thinking, communication, written, problem solving, program, project management type skills that are separate from the content. You know, you're going to end your time at Lion, no matter if you're in psych or if you're in, you know, obviously we make, we have you take common core classes. And one of the things I want you to do before you leave Lion, this is one of my personal goals, whether you're a psych major or not, but especially emphasized in the psych major is the collection of skills that you've gained experience in that you can go now use with humans. So you take your, your, your bucket of skills that you've gained plus your content areas and you go and you help or teach or coach whatever humans or sell to whatever humans um, you decide that you want to coach, teach, work with, sell. Human resources is one that a lot of my students will go into. Um, and that's a very, very nice place for people to end up. And in psychology, if you have the better sense of that you have about what it is that you want to do, it will it will go beyond just sort of class choice, right? In terms of prepping you for that. It can go into, well, what topic are you going to study for your lit review for research methods? Or what topic do you want to study in your developmental psych class? You know, um, it'd be better if you're going to be an occupational therapist that you look into something related to, or important to occupational therapists. So you can, when you go and do your interview, you talk to somebody about it. You speak knowledge, you know, with, uh, you sound knowledgeable about that particular area. So we're very aware that psychology is a major that you can kind of end up in. And because um, you're just sort of like, well, I thought I was going to do this. And now I really like psych, but there's a thousand things you can do with psychology. And as part of the advising process, we really try to narrow that down. And I know, like I said, for me in particular, I'm going to make you close your eyes and tell me what you want your life to look like in 10 years, because it's not just going to be your career. Like it, it's, do you want to live to work or do you want to work to live? And there's just bigger questions out there than what job do you want? And I know Patrick, you agree with me on this, that it's not, it's not your career is a piece of your life, but it's not your whole life. And I like working with undergrads, especially at a small school like Lyon, especially in liberal arts, because I, I get to help you build, be one small part of helping you build your life, whatever it's going to look like after, after you leave Lyon and nobody ever actually leaves Lyon, by the way, like you can always come back and talk to us. We're still here for you. Because I, I, from a business context, uh, uh, people who major in psychology, I've found that if you fundamentally fundamentally understand hu- like con- human behavior, which is consumer behavior, yep. which is motivations and persuasion, goodness, advertising, market research, human resources, eventually, you know, people get work experience. They become excellent executive coaches. Sure. You know, because there they they learn, you know, they know just all you know, all these tools to, you know, kind of help guide people on their professional journey. And so it's a, a fantastic, uh, a, a fantastic major. And, you know, we hope more will 
follow it. Uh, one other thing, right? Director of Student Empowerment. Yes. Yeah. All right. That, that, that That's a pretty big title. I hope you use it for good, not evil. But uh, um, know, so far, I've decided. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, so far, <laughs> I've, I've decided to be more Batman than Joker. And so um, but give me time. Give me time. Yes. yes. And um, but one of the things I actually got to craft that title um, in working with our provost, um, Dr. Grafton. And I was, we were talking about how I, like, I really like helping students. You know, I, um, I like not problem solving for them, but with them. And I really see myself as kind of a conduit to, um, I'm not the thing that's going to solve your problem, but I definitely can work with you to help identify the resources that either you have within yourself or that you that we have here at Lion to fill that gap that you're experiencing, whether that's um, it might be maybe you need to see our counselor or maybe you need to see um, our career counselor, uh, our career um, director and uh, and or, you know. I can just kind of talk to you like a person and I, cause I have, cause like I said, I, I am, like I said, it's, it's different experience being a first generation college student and, or maybe being far away from home and, and that kind of thing. So I will get on to you uh, with through the early alert system, if you're absent from your classes, but in that same breath, I am also willing to help you figure out, okay, so you've missed classes. What can we do to, to getting, get you back on track? Um, especially if you have to miss because you're traveling for a sport or something like that, there's, you know, we don't want you to have to figure out that by yourself. Um, so yes, you will get the emails from me that are like, Hey, you've, you've missed two weeks of class. Yeah. You doing all right. I really do want to know if you're doing all right. Um, and I really am, uh, here as a resource, not just as someone who's yelling at you for missing class. Yeah, it's 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 out of uh, trying to help versus being punitive. So, oh yeah, so for sure. New New Testament, not Old Testament. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, 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 no uh, salt pillars here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we we kind of this we went into it bonus time, so uh, you know we'd like to uh, kind of wrap up. Is there anything uh, from you, Jason, before we close this show, epic show out? <laughs> My only question would be, um, <laughs> do you think this one was better than the last podcast that we did? Well, I miss Gavin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gavin, see, Gavin's in lab right now, so the, yeah. he doesn't show up on the early alert system and, and get a, a, a note from you. So you know, <laughs> Yeah, so I know. Again, it'll Gavin. just be a gentle sort of, are you doing okay, buddy? Um, yeah, this yeah. is really, really a lot of fun, and I'm really glad you guys get to do this. Uh, I love podcasts. I listen to podcasts like constantly. I have parasocial relationships with podcasters. One go. of my favorite podcasts recently broke up because of some unfortunate allegations, and uh, yeah and it, but it was again it's that kind of thing like oh anybody just really feels sad because this guy ended up being somebody we you know like oh he did the thing yeah yeah and i've never met these people in my life but um so i hope somebody out there feels a, a parasocial connection with us and and feels like we're approachable people that they can talk to about um lion or about psychology or about video games or whatever whatever they're into we're we're ready to talk and with that, thank you, Dr. Jen Daniels, Professor of Psychology here at 
Line College. Thank all your listeners for listening to us on the Career Pathways podcast. Producer Jason, where can they find us? Where can they find the Career Pathways podcast? This is my favorite part. They can find <laughs> us almost everywhere. We're on 99% of uh, podcasting platforms. So um, we're pretty much everywhere. Um, for that 1%, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, but they'll find us eventually. They'll find right. us eventually. You just got to look it up. <laughs> oh, what, but thank you. Uh, thank you again to all the listeners. And thank you, Jen Daniels. Uh, this was an awesome conversation. Been a pleasure. All right. Bye. Bye. This broadcast is sponsored in part by Lion College and also sponsored in part by Kilt Radio.